As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30, the 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it. for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunter Burke. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Hey guys, and welcome in to another edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. And for the first time in a while, it is time to talk some Tar Heel recruiting. And that is because the Tar Heels landed another commitment in the 2021 class. Their first in over two months, and it was four, uh, three stars offensive tackle Diego Pounds from Millbrook, Millbrook High School in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Tar Heels jumped into the running late for this talented offensive lineman. Uh, back on August 4th was when they offered, and uh, in under two months, Carolina did just enough to be able to pull out a victory on the recruiting trail. And so we welcome in our guy, Zach Hubbard. It's been a while since he's been on, but uh, hope you've been hanging in there, man. I know uh, things have been a little bit silent on the recruiting front from the Tar Heels, but you know, this was something we kind of expected after how quickly they were able to add most of their guys early on in the class. Absolutely, and with it being sort of a weird recruiting cycle, you know, stuff like this was always going to happen. Uh, with the class being pretty much filled up as is, there, you know, there was always going to be a period of time such as this in which it slowed down a little. But nice to have another sort of, you know, exciting bit of news in here with a commitment of pounds. Yeah, and I mean, Diego Pounds, really talented player, a uh, very versatile player as well, really based on his size, 6'6", 305, so a guy that pretty much already possesses the size. If he needs to play an offensive tackle, he could probably play out of the gate just size-wise. Um, you know, when I turned on his film, a uh, really intriguing prospect. Uh, the thing that I noticed the most about him is, you know, again, he has the size, but really a pretty technical player in terms of hand placement, for sure. That was the thing that John 
jumped out the most about me. Very smart guy when it comes to getting his hands inside on defensive linemen. You see that pretty often on film against even some of the bigger guys. Really allows him to control the defender, kind of push him wherever he wants them to go. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, I thought, you know, he was definitely a, a very good run blocker. Um, I thought the strength was there, you know, maybe not as, as evident as some of the other guys. He's not quite as violent as uh, as Eli Sutton is, the guy that's already committed for the Tar Heels in the class. That's a four-star coming out of Brentwood High School in Brentwood, Tennessee. But still a guy that I think, you know, has some, has some good things uh, run blocking-wise. But I was kind of shocked because of the numbers for Millbrook last year at just how good of a pass protector he was. A guy that has really solid lateral movement, can really wall off defenders, and really knows how to anchor himself and not be pushed around by guys that might have a little bit of strength on the defensive side of the ball. So I think this is ultimately a good fit for Carolina, a guy that you know may take a little building, uh, especially footwork-wise, but still somebody that uh, Carolina fans should be very encouraged about. Uh, I know you probably went back, took a look at Pounds as well. What did you think about this three-star prospect, and what do you think about his opportunity to potentially come in and have an impact for Carolina? Yeah, I was very excited to uh, to add pounds to the list. You know, I thought it was a guy that um, the main thing that sticks out, like you mentioned, obviously there's a good base there, but it's really the high upside. I mean, he's, he's only been playing varsity football. I think uh, his uh, high school coach there, Milbert, said he had about a year of experience at the varsity level. So he's really only scratched the surface in terms of not only his technique, but probably his strength and conditioning and, you know, really just gaining that you know, sort of that grinding mindset that you're looking for. But, I mean, if you just look at the physical aspects, high upside is what this guy screams. And another reason I sort of, you know, harp on that is really you can also look at the uh, the other schools that Carolina was competing with, not that you always want to do that, always want to look at an offer list. But mm-hmm. uh, when you look at sort of how this recruitment went, I mean, he was heavily pursued by Auburn. He was heavily pursued by LSU. I mean, up until the final day, pretty much there was the you know consideration that he was all but going to Penn State. Uh, these are not no-name schools. You know, these are big-level schools that were recruiting him in earnest. And, you know, like I said, that's not always the end-all, be-all. But when you have those sort of, you know, competitions in recruiting, when when you have schools like that, like, um, you, know, you know, perennial top-ten programs in Auburn, in even the defending national champion in LSU that uh, just had the Joe Moore um, – Joe Moore um, award this past year for best offensive line. Obviously, you know, they know what they're doing to some extent in terms of offensive line from having that this past year to have them go out and be in heavy pursuit, you know, for a guy like Pounds. I think that speaks a lot to it. And I mean, just about anyone that you talk to within North Carolina will tell you his best football is in front of him. Now, like you mentioned, you know, there is stuff to work on specifically, I'd say probably the footwork at this point and then sort of getting that mentality that just comes with, you know, being an aggressive physical uh, college football player. But in terms of measurables, things along those lines, which is really, you know, to some extent what you have to look for, um, especially, you know, if you're not regularly pulling in, you know, the high five-star, high four-star um, offensive lineman, you've got to look at, you know, what are, the, what are the things that we can develop? What can we mold here? Um, and in terms of you know a moldable target, uh, Diego Pounds he definitely fills fills that mold to me. 
Yeah, and I like the athleticism as well. I think, you know, when you throw on the film for a guy that's 6'6", 305, you're probably thinking, you know, this is going to be a guy that's, you know, a little bit bigger, you know, not a guy that's going to be huge, you know, not he's not a short and stout guy, but uh, definitely a guy that you don't think is going to move as well as he does on tape. He is a really good pull blocker, um, which is something that Carolina really likes, especially in their run blocking schemes. And, you know, he's a guy that if he can get to the second level, that's where he really shows his strength. Whenever he takes on the smaller linebackers, the smaller safeties, that's where he's going to be able to show his strength as opposed to, you know, on the defensive line, you know, some guys have, have been able to hold up with them that were, you know, maybe a little bit smaller than him. But I think you're right. I, one of the things that I think the staff's really going to work on with him is developing that mean streak, saying, look, you've got the size. Now, you know, use it. Push these guys around. You know, you know you're bigger than them. You know they're, you're more powerful than them. So let's show them that you can push them around. But yeah, I think there's a lot of things to like about here. I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting when I watched his film and and I kind of think about, you know, what Carolina is looking for on the offensive line and what his body style is, I think this guy, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit of, of what Joshua Zudu is now. And, you know, I think that's something that he could probably aspire to be for this Carolina team, which is a guy that, you know, if they need him to play offensive tackle, he can. He's got the athleticism. He's got the pass protection ability. If they need him to go inside, he's got the size. You know, he's definitely got the upper body. He's just got to be able to work a little bit on that mean streak as we talked about. Um, but I think he could fit inside a guard as well. And I think that's one of the big things that Carolina's looking for. You know, we heard it all preseason. And part of that is because you've had guys that have entered the transfer portal. Part of it is that you had a couple of guys get banged up. But this Carolina team really isn't as deep on the offensive line as we maybe thought they could be back in the summer. There are some guys that you know, still really haven't lived up to potential just yet, like William Barnes. Um, there's other guys that you know have been banged up, as I mentioned, like Ty Murray. Uh, and there's you know a lot of young guys there too that you know are going to need time to build into their frames. Guys like Caden Baker, who's listed as a backup at offensive tackle. So you know, a guy like Pounds, I think there's a chance he can come in and, and make an impact, just based on the fact that he's got the size already and there's is some talent there. I mean, do you think that ultimately you know? Joshua Zudu is, is probably a solid comparison for him? I'd say so, and I think that's one of the main things, like you mentioned, that makes him so valuable in terms of the team. I mean, really, one of the things that we discussed in the offseason is uh, you know one of the primary areas to improve upon from last year's team and one of the areas that you know this Tar Heel team or Tar Heel program you know over the next few years is going to need to improve on to be able to compete regularly with those top teams namely Clemson there in the ACC is improved line play now we've already seen a really good you know recruiting along that defensive line and we've seen recruiting along the offensive line but it's something that you know will continue to be an an emphasis not only with the guys on the current roster but just you know and continuing to recruit that position uh, year after year so I think that this is a great a great addition a guy that really you know matches up well with what you're getting from Eli Sutton after the departure of Jared Wilson it's really hard to ask for any better sort of option you hate to say a backup option and you know that was a key sort of in his recruitment and in the you know storyline was that late offer but you know you really couldn't ask for anything better in terms of, you know, another guy. When you need to have another offensive lineman having this sort of, you know, highly sought after, high upside lineman, you couldn't 
match for anything better there, in my opinion. Well, you mentioned uh, Penn State in it all the way until the end. And yeah, pretty much until the day before. There were even crystal balls that were cast two days before that had Penn State winning this recruitment, pulling this one out. Um, uh, you know, some of, uh, you know, from what I learned with my interview with uh, JJ Jones, which uh, you guys can check out now uh, on the Facebook page. You can also check it out uh, in the uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. He told me that it was a little bit earlier that all of those guys knew. I think Penn State staff probably was getting that feeling as well. But at the same time, there were a lot of experts that thought Penn State had this pulled out. So this was something where Carolina really had to make a push late because as we learned with Diego right after he got the offer, some people thought, you know, this could potentially be a guy that gets the offer and pops on the spot. That wasn't what happened, and part of that was because he was, you know, felt a little left out by Carolina after, you know, things kind of dropped off once they got Jarrett Wilson and Eli Sutton. Before that, he was hearing from Carolina. They were saying they were on, you know, the precipice of giving him an offer, but really after they got Jarrett Wilson, apparently Carolina pretty much cut off communication with him. Uh, some say they were still in communication with another offensive line target in Yusef uh, Magharble, who we'll talk about here in just a minute but um, I feel like you know he it was good that you know some of the guys and I feel like a lot of the guys that were committed in this class were really on Diego to become a part of this class I feel like that's an area that's really underrated in this recruitment though I feel like Keyshawn Silver uh, Raniria Dilworth uh, as well as JJ Jones a guy who uh, he told you know he told me when we uh, were doing the interview the other night he actually used to play AAU ball with Diego so I feel like some of those guys that had relationships with them and could build upon those relationships during this process really paid off for Carolina here, um, you know, w- were you kind of feeling the same way going into, uh, you know, I would say going into Thursday that Penn State was probably still ahead, and it, it almost felt, I'm not going to say it felt exactly like George Wilson's, because I think we knew Carolina was still in it and, and was fighting to have a chance, but it, it was kind of amazing how quickly things changed on the fly, and all of a sudden, Carolina became the heavy favorite uh, within a, a 48-hour span. Yeah, and I, and I think like you mentioned, I think that the more so um, than you know, the timing of the offer, I think that the relationships that Pounds have played one of the biggest roles here, and I think it's been a big part of multiple recruitments that we've seen in this cycle. Um, to note, um, you know, another one would be Jabari Ritzy, the defensive lineman out of Corn High School there in Kernersville, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another one in which having that sort of you know comfortability and influence was was very important there, and ultimately one of the deciding factors. But yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty much up until. Um, almost a few hours before the announcement that, you know, most people in the recruiting industry thought, you know, it's going to be Penn State. They've had this sort of, you know, slight lead for the longest time. There was even reports that he had been a silent commit to them. There was sort of this, you know, at least somewhat of a feeling of disrespect from the late offer from North Carolina. So there was, there were questions of if they could rebound there, but it was really, you know, like you mentioned, it was the relationships, not only from the continued work from the staff, but just from a peer perspective. And, you know, really when you're looking at things that are going to draw it in, um, they're, you know, winning obviously is going to be one of the big ones, development to the NFL, the chance to play for national championships, all those things are great. But, you know, really, in my opinion, an underrated factor in any sort of recruitment would be the ability to say, hey, you know, I know you, you're my friend, come play with me. I think that that's, you know, something that 
it's not only it's teeth really for any recruiting class specific you know specifically here in North Carolina's but it, it's one that you know we've seen to great effect in this class because it's a group of guys that are largely from the area all you know majority being from in-state um, a few from surrounding states but you know one of the biggest recruiting wins here is having that tight-knit group and, you know, having them be able to really sort of, um, you know, in mass recruit guys. And I think it continue, can continue, excuse me, can continue to have an impact, you know, in this recruiting class with the remaining targets that are available. Yeah, and I think that, you know, going forward, it will always be a big thing because of how influential social media is. You get the feeling that, you know, guys that are currently committed to teams are going to play a big role. How do they reach out to these recruits? How do they kind of sell the program? Because, look, they're going through the the same thing that that person on the other side of the phone is. You know, even though they're committed, there are still coaches that will reach out to them so they could say, look, this is the reason that I picked North Carolina. And this year, I think it's been bigger than any year because of everything that we're seeing with COVID-19. You know, guys can't take visits to campus. They can. They can go on campus by themselves, but coaching staffs can't walk you around. They don't even have anybody at the school that can walk you around. You can give yourself a self-guided tour. That's really about it. So it's a completely different landscape this year. You know, guys are having to go off of, you know, schools that they've never visited. And I think that's another big key here in Pound's recruitment was that, you know, he never visited Penn State. He'd never been there. All He'd only contacted the coaches. And that was pretty much much going to be the reason that we, he would have ended up committing there. Um, we've seen guys do that before, though. We saw George Wilson, who I just mentioned a little while ago. You know, he had never taken a visit to South Carolina. Still hasn't. He's only taken a virtual visit there. Um, this is just the landscape that you're in. So, you know, for Carolina for, to, to have these guys that are committed in this class to step up and, and really value Diego Pounds and say, look, we need to get him in this class. He's an in-state guy. He's an offensive tackle that we could really use and for them to step up and find a way to help him get over those thoughts of, you know, why did they kind of pass up on me? You know, why was I a guy that got a late offer? That's huge and and a big win for Carolina. Now, the biggest question that I think a lot of people have, and I got this from a couple of people, is what does this affect, you know, this recruitment, him him ending up committing, have on Yusef Magarbel's commitment and or opportunity to commit at Carolina. Um, I don't think that if Yusef was to want to play for Carolina, they would tell him no. Look, this is a four-star offensive guard, another guy that is probably very flexible. You know, played a lot of offensive tackle at Murphy High School, but compl- is listed as a guard uh, on 24/7 Sports. So he's got the size to play inside, also has the talent to play on the outside. Um, but the thing that's interesting is, is I don't know how true this. Is uh, you know some people have been floating this around in some of these uh, recruiting groups that I'm in and everything like that. Uh, there are people that have been saying that you know some of the communication has been cut off with McHarble. I think that's pretty interesting. That kind of tells me if that's true that the staff already knew that Pounds was coming. Um, but I think the thing is is you know look I, I don't know if Carolina is going to completely abandon communication with them. I, the other thing is that you know I would take you know them saying that communication's been cut off with them. Uh, with a little bit of a grain of salt because he is a guy that is very hard to communicate with. He lives in the middle of nowhere in the state of North Carolina. I mean, Murphy, North Carolina is probably about six hours away from Chapel Hill. It's a long drive out to where he lives. So he uh, he's in an area where it is very hard to get 
contact with him uh, for most of the year. And traveling out there is just not an option right now. So I don't know how how true that actually is. But if Carolina has cut off communications with them, I don't think it would really shock us that much because I think two guys in uh, in this class on the offensive line was kind of what Carolina was targeting. I think if a third one wanted to come, that, that they would take it, but um, I'm not overly shocked if they've cut off uh, communications with them. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. And I think that communication just in general, like you mentioned, has been pretty you know, limited as is. Um, spots are limited and will be, you know, for the future, not only in this class, but in 2020, they, they both don't look to be, you know, particularly large classes. So, you know, like you said, I, I, I just want to say real quick, I don't think that they would say no necessarily right. if he wanted to join. Uh, but as of right now, I would not put North Carolina in his pick. I'd probably say um, two schools that I would mention for him would be uh, possibly the University of Florida. That was a big you know, factor in his recruitment um, prior to the addition of Pounds. They still will be obviously going forward. And then, of course, having the connection with NC State, you can't count them out. But uh, the uh, uh, University of Florida and NC State would be the two that I would look at here. And more likely than not, Carolina finishes up their offensive line recruiting for 2021. Yeah, and I think they're in a good they're in a good spot on the offensive line. You know, I went and scout. You know, or not didn't go and scout, but uh, I used the computer to scout uh, Eli Sutton in uh, it, who's already committed in the class. Um, really talented player. Really liked what I saw from him. I'm, I'm going to be interested to go and look at Diego Pounds uh, in February. I hope to take a look at him as well. But um, yeah, I think you know from everything that we've seen from these guys, there's a lot to be encouraged about with these two coming in on the offensive line. Remember that Carolina has also had some very successful classes on the offensive line here in recent years. Uh, this past year, of course, Trey Zimmerman, Caden Baker, uh, Malik McGowan on the offensive line. Uh, so, you know, there's still a, a lot of talent on this offensive line. A lot of it is just very young right now, and they're just still trying to build depth. So I think you're right. Carolina's class is, is probably full right now, but if they were able to get someone like McCarble or Logan Taylor, who is a guy that was considering committing to Carolina at one point on campus uh, sometime later this year if they were to lift some of the uh, recruiting restrictions and some of these guys were able uh, to hold off signing in the early signing period there might be a chance but I don't see that happening uh, I think it's going to be too for the offensive line class for the Tar Heels here in 2021 uh, that leads to the questions of who does Carolina have left uh, target wise in the 2021 class so um, again, you know, we'll, we'll still consider McCarble a guy that they're talking to until we get some concrete information that they're not. Um, but really, it's two guys. It's going to be Bryson Nesbitt, the tight end from South Mecklenburg High School in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it's also going to be uh, defensive tackle Tyrion Ingram Dawkins from Gaffney, South Carolina. Well, first of all, let's touch on, uh, let, let's start with Bryson Nesbitt. You know, this one's interesting because I feel like for a while they thought he was going to go South Carolina where his dad played Jamar Nesbitt, the former offensive lineman but this uh, recruitment has kind of taken a little bit of a turn. Carolina's made a nice push. Uh, he's got a really good relationship with John Lilly. It's been built especially during COVID-19 and the other interesting part of this is that Michael Trigg uh, the four star tight end from Carrollwood Day High School in Tampa, Florida has also become a very big South Carolina target not only for football but for basketball. He's a double off 
offer for them. Uh, and there is a chance Carol uh, South Carolina is in good standing with him. And there are people that feel like the Gamecocks could be the favorite in his recruitment right now. If they end up landing Trigg, I think that probably changes things dr dramatically in this recruitment, and I think Carolina would definitely be the favorite. I think, you know, the fact that he's been around so many Tar Heel commits as well during uh, a lot of the 7-on-7 seven -seven stuff that we saw during the summer also helps their chances, but I think this is one that, you know, early on, Carolina wasn't feeling great about, but the change to Coach John Lilly and uh, Carolina really finding a way to, uh, to to make a push combined with South Carolina looking in a different direction, I think has really helped them in this recruitment. Yeah, I have to agree, and um, from what I've heard as well, I, I don't know if he would um, select South Carolina, even if that was the case. I think that um, you know Nesbitt is a guy that's looking to sort of do his own thing here, uh, be his own path in terms of recruitment, which is why we haven't seen any sort of clear leader uh, in terms of his recruitment. Um, South Carolina is still going to be in there, though. Uh, obviously, North Carolina, and then a third team, interestingly enough, is UCLA. Um, has really had an impact in his recruitment, um, despite you know being all the way on the West Coast and uh, has been never visiting. He he's gotten quite a bit of you know sort of communication from them. So that, that's really his top three right now. If I had to pick a top three, now as you mentioned, uh, the communication has been really really good for North Carolina, not only from its coaches but from its uh, commits as well. Another instance, like we mentioned, of you know the commits playing a big role in uh, the ability of this staff to recruit and get guys. Um, but I mean, you have the addition of Drake May. Drake May's been big been in there, mm -hmm. and that recruitment offers him a quarterback, but also, um, you look and mention, with the first game uh, versus Syracuse, the first touchdown was you know a crossing route to uh, Garrett Walston, and uh, not only you know tight end coach John Lilly, but head coach Matt Brown himself, you know, was sure to communicate with Desmond right after the game and say, hey, Here's how we'll use you. So, I, I really, I really like that from a recruiting perspective that they were able to put something on film that they could show directly. Here's how you can have an impact um, in the offense because that was still somewhat of a question right. uh, from last year of how the tight ends were going to be used and what the usage would be. And now it's just one game. You know, it, it's not like that we saw the you know the tight ends getting double digit catches or anything like that. But it's an encouraging step. And it's something that you can uh, that you can sell on the recruiting trail. So if I had to pick a favorite right now, I probably would pick North Carolina. I don't think that it's necessarily finished as of yet, but I think right. you know with all the with all the factors involved, I, I think that the Tar Heels are in a really good position for Nesbitt right now. Yeah, UCLA is interesting. I've heard some things about them too. I think the biggest concern for them has to be is you know for for him to commit there, he would likely need to take a visit. And you know we've seen not not only the recruiting restrictions from the NCAA, but we've seen how strict the Pac-12 has been. Now, they're going to, of course, play later on this fall, but still, you know, they're not having students on campus at any of their schools for the entirety of the fall semester. So they're being really strict about stuff. Recruiting is going to probably remain that way. So you just wonder if he doesn't take a visit there, 
is he really going to be willing to commit there? I mean, it's one thing to commit to even, you know, if, if you look at some of the situations of guys committing on the East Coast to schools that they haven't been to, um, but, I mean, to, to commit to a school on the West Coast where you'd have to go cross-country might be a little bit of a different scenario. So I think you're right. I think North Carolina's probably in the lead there. Uh, and then there's Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. Um, I like to call him the most confusing recruit that we've seen in terms of uh, – what he's feeling on social media. He is all over the place. It is unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I would just, you know, try not to read too much into what he puts on social media because I feel like he's a guy that is is really just soaking up the recruiting um experience, I guess you would say. Um, I, and, and that's fine. You know, that's that's a way, you know, a lot of guys want to be. They want to feel, you know, have these fan bases, you know, really, you know, sh- shouting them out, trying to get them to commit there, everything like that. Uh, you know, some of those guys really love that stuff. Um, but with him, I, you know, I feel like, you know, Carolina is still in it. They've still got a chance. Um, they made his top uh, five that he released uh, a few weeks ago. But, you know, when you look at this, this group, I still think, you know, South Carolina is still there. The, the team that's in-state. Then you've got uh, Georgia as well. But, you know, North, North Carolina, I think they have an interesting case because of the guy that's there now, Kobe Paysauer, who transferred there for his senior year to Gaffney High School. You wonder if that is going to have a little bit of effect. Where are you standing? Where are you at with this recruitment? Because I think right now, you know, to me, there is a clear leader. I'm interested to see if you see one, too. Yeah, I, I think that, like you mentioned, this is a very interesting recruitment, and it's it's really, from my perspective, it's hard to say if you know uh, Tyrion is just a guy that's sort of playing the game, is sort of trying to you know keep his cards close to the vest, and mm-hmm. you know not give away too much, or if he really just doesn't you know have any sort of inclination one way or the other where he's going to go. Now, from everything I've heard, even though he has been very receptive, at least on social media, to the Tar Heel sort of pitch. It doesn't sound right now like they're going to be the school. Um, And so, really, um, if you want to look at, um, you know, who else is left, who else are the main competitors, it's mainly, you know, an SEC trio in South Carolina, Tennessee, and UGA. And now, South Carolina is obviously the in-state school. I can't say that they're not a factor, but it's it's really seemed more like a, a, a Tennessee UGA sort of deal right now. And I mean, like we've mentioned multiple times, you look at that Tennessee class; they've been, you know, they pretty much any time we've looked, they've looked like they've got to be full by now. So they they have limited spots, if any. Right. Um, so from what from what I've heard, it looks like if they were to push, it could be UGA now. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. That could leave space for potentially, you know, Tennessee if they had a spot, or potentially South Carolina as the in-state school, or still even North Carolina as an option in there. But from what I've heard, it seems like if there is a push from the University of Georgia, uh, they could very well be that pick. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of interesting factors in this. For Tennessee, it's like you mentioned. I mean, their class seems like it's got to be getting full, right? Like, this is a huge class that they've put together. I think it's at 25 or 26 right now. Uh, And the biggest thing also is that they've got two guys committed on the defensive line. Katron Evans has has been committed. Looks like he's going to stay committed. Same thing with Isaac Washington, another in-state guy. He actually plays at East Surrey High School here in North Carolina. He seems like he's pretty concrete to staying with Tennessee. So you just ask yourself, do they really have 
spots open. And, you know, even if they, they do have a scholarships open, you know, would they want to bring in a third defensive tackle in this class? Because, you know, that could be taking a scholarship away from another guy that wants to play there. Tennessee is is definitely a school that's really gotten a lot of hype here in this 21 cycle. You've seen a lot of guys that, you know, in years past probably wouldn't have even considered the Volunteers starting to consider this team once again. Um, the clear favorite to me, I think, is Georgia. You know, we've seen him, you know, do a couple of workouts and all those. Every video that he puts out on social media, he's always wearing something UGA. Um, it feels like, you know, they've got spots open. Now, the thing that's interesting with them is, you know, I, I think it's, it's probably been about a month now. Uh, one of the guys that was originally committed to them, Marlon Dean, he decommitted and then recommitted to Georgia. Uh, that was something that uh, Ingram Dawkins did make a post on. Uh, seemed a little bit shocked by that. Didn't, don't know if maybe the staff was telling him something different. So, you just don't really know. And, and I think that's the biggest thing with him is that, you know, like you said, I, you don't really know if he's just playing the game or if he truly doesn't know. And, and in this season, that is a possibility. Considering that you can't take visits, it makes sense why you might still be a little hesitant on, you know, trying to get overly infatuated with one school. So you never really know. Carolina might still have a fighting chance here, but I think this, you know, Carolina is going to still be pushing to try to get him. But at the same time, they're keeping that eye towards that 22 class where you've got Travis Shaw in state. You've got Curtis Neal in state. You've got Santana Hopper in state. I mean, three guys that are just big-time four-star or higher recruits and are very receptive to you so far. You're going to have a chance in their recruitments if you keep yourself around. So I think that's an area where Carolina, you know, I, I was one that was pretty concerned about them bringing in a nose tackle. I think the fact that they've, you know, been able to move some guys around on that defensive line, we've heard that they are using Raymond Velasic at nose tackle. They're using Tamari Fox a little bit at nose tackle. They're doing some different things. I think also eases that concern along with the fact that the 22 class is just stacked and guys have been very receptive out of the gate to that. Uh, other than that, I think uh, that's pretty much it for Carolina. Someone, uh, one of the guys that uh, messages into us all the time, uh, Carolina fan, uh, at Carolina fan 99 on Twitter, he messaged me the other day, says, is Carolina in the market to flip someone? Uh, he said, I know I asked this earlier, but wondered if there were any names that the Heels were still reaching out to in the 2021 class. Um, my answer to that would probably be yes. I would assume that they are probably still in some sort of contact with guys like Evan Pryor uh, as well as Will Shipley. Um, you know, guys that are top end commits at other schools that, you know, you, you always want to stay around. You're always wanting to ask them, you know, how's everything going? Keep tabs on them just to make sure that they're not thinking about decommitting. Uh, because if they are, you can get back into those. I would say right now, I don't think either one of those guys are going anywhere. Those are probably the two guys that I would look at. Um, the other guy I would look at also is Logan Taylor, uh, who's committed to Virginia. But unless Carolina can get him on campus for a visit, I don't think that's going to happen. And then I think, you know, the other area where you got to look at 
Carolina might still be potentially uh, searching would be wide receiver uh, just in case one of the three guys that's there was to decommit, but I don't see that happening right now. I know that I had expressed some concern a while back about the possibility of if Clemson offered, uh, J.J. Jones could end up taking a serious look at that. I think as of right now, J.J. has become very comfortable with everything at Carolina. I think, you know, that if Clemson was to offer, it could definitely be a, a talking point, but I'm not really that concerned about him decommitting, but that could still be a position where Carolina could be contacting, you know, some of the guys that we talked about um, a while back, you know, James Blackstrain, who's committed to Georgia Tech. He was a guy that uh, was really interested in Carolina, as well as Michael Crowell, who is committed to NC State, a guy that, you know, I think uh, was interested in Carolina. Carolina may have uh, filled up because, you know, he had way until after Carolina had three commits to commit to NC State. But I think, you know, the, the the answer that I would go with as of right now, if I had to give one, is that Carolina will probably not be able to flip anyone in this class. I'm, I'm assuming you're probably thinking along the same lines. I would say so, and I would say for the most part, it's not necessarily anything that they need to do. I feel like right. they've you know, they've gotten a lot of very good guys. I mean, you look at the class um, in, in terms of just the number that they have. I mean, the majority of their commits are, you know, four-star composite, four-star prospects. Uh, they, the guys that they have that are, you know, rated as composite three-stars are guys that they have, you know, high interest in as well. So I, I think that uh, more likely than not, the uh, Tar Heel staff is very pleased with the class that they have. Obviously, like you mentioned, they're going to at least – keep some of that communication on guys that you know are simply too good to pass up um, like a Will Shipley or um, maybe a Peyton Page or Zaire Patterson they might be in contact right. with but right. you know I, I don't foresee really any of those guys having any sort of um, you know per- particular uh, interest in flipping as of right now and I, and I don't see that really for any of the Tar Heel commits as well I think that's like you mentioned I think it's a, a very tight-knit group. I, I think it's a group that likely is pretty much all signed up in December, um, pending that there is still the traditional December signing day, obviously. Right. With this being a very, you know, a very different year, we, we never know what can happen down the road with that. There can always be changes. We've seen changes already in recruiting and in roster management, everything along those lines. But I think that, you know, the group that they have right now, maybe plus, you know, one to two of the of the, uh, of the other guys that we mentioned, possibly like well, like we mentioned, you know, hard to say right now. But I think the class pretty much is what it is. Right. A few more spots, maybe, but I, I think this is the class that you have, and then you really start focusing on twenty twenty two, building those relationships early, and you know, building that foundation there, similar to what you did with this class here in twenty twenty one. Yeah, and I think the number, you know, someone, uh, that was another question that uh, Carolina Fan 99 asked me, you know, what do you think the number is for this class? Um, I think, you know, the maximum that they would probably take in this class would be 20, which was the number that we were hearing all along. Um, I think, you know, what's probably the likely number? Probably 18. I think uh, Bryson Nesbitt is is probably the guy that you would project there. Um, I don't think that if they miss on Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, they're going to look for another defensive tackle because of the things that I mentioned just a little while ago. Um, I think if it's the other way around, if they were to, uh, you know, not even necessarily land Ingram Dawkins, but if they warrant to land Nesbitt, 
I do think that they would potentially look to offer some more tight ends. Um, but I still think that, you know, even outside of that, I, I don't see any other positions where they're probably going to spring any new offers. I think 18 will probably be the number that you'll be looking at. A smaller class, but remember that this past class here in 2020 was big. Uh, also, this class for 2021 technically would be 19 players because Tony Grimes did reclassify. So uh, it's not something that should be concerning. It's also an area where if Carolina was that concerned, the 2021 class or 2022 class, excuse me, they could address it, also could address it through the transfer portal. So uh, pretty confident in what this class is looking like coming together. As of right now, uh, the class actually just dipped a little bit again today. Uh, I think uh, there was a commitment possibly uh, yesterday. So Carolina's class now down to 12th in the country. Uh, was up to 11th after the Diego Pounds commitment, but still 12th in the 24-7 sports uh, composite team rankings. Uh, third in the ACC. So Carolina with a very solid class following a 2020 class that currently, uh, after uh, they added Tony Grimes to it, finished 13th. So Carolina looking at back-to-back historically good classes here uh, under Mac Brown in his first two years at Carolina. So uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Again, make sure you guys are uh, checking out the website. Um, there's a ton of really great stuff on there. You guys can check all that stuff out. Uh, we, of course, have the Diego Pounds commitment article. We're going to have a, uh, a few more interesting recruiting articles that will be coming out here over uh, the next couple of weeks. But mainly, we'll be focusing on the team on the field. Of course, they are expected to get back on the field this Saturday against Boston College. We are hoping that they will find a way to play that game. Uh, We can't really get our hopes up with everything that we've been seeing here over the past few weeks, but Carolina is going to travel to Chestnut Hill. There will be no fans in the stands, um, and it's going to be interesting. Carolina is basically going to be restarting the season, so we'll have you covered on all fronts for that with a preview. That'll be up uh, on Thursday. Make sure you guys check that out, and then we'll have you covered with the recap, trench report, and stock report uh, for that game against the Eagles. Uh, Of course, after that, Carolina also announced uh, that today that they will be playing uh, Virginia Tech at home on the 10th. That will be a noon game, but it will be on ABC. So a nationally televised game against the Hokies. It's an early start. It'll be interesting to see how Carolina plays in that game. And the big thing for Carolina in that game, even though it's really not going to be that big of a crowd, Carolina will have fans in the stands for that game. It's going to be 7% capacity, so won't be making a ton of noise, but could still definitely help Carolina and will be something to keep an eye on. Make sure you guys check that out. As for the podcast, of course, we have gone uh, to video format for some of our main podcasts. You guys can check that out uh, on the Facebook page. Uh, Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page so that you know when we uh, put up those videos, you'll get a a message that'll say uh, we're about to premiere a video. You guys can watch that. Uh, Typically, that's going to be going up each week, usually either Wednesday or Thursday uh, during game week, so you guys can check that out. Uh, It'll be me and Josh on that covering you uh, the, the entire season. Uh, And, of course, if you're listening to the podcast uh, on any of the apps, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, any of the places that you listen to your podcast, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Rating and reviewing will help move us up uh, the rankings so that people that haven't found us just yet can. And subscribing will help you to be able to keep up with all of these great episodes that we have for you guys. Of course, as I mentioned, uh, J.J. Jones interview, you guys can go and check that out. 
really great talking to uh, the current Tar Heel commit as well uh, as uh, some other great additions to the podcast as well that you can go back and listen to. So want to thank you guys for watching and listening. I uh, want to thank Zach for hosting with me tonight. And as always, go Tar Heels!